I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. A lot of news today in the Vuelta on what is probably going to be one of the most boring and slow stages of the entire (laughs) race. This show, as always, is presented by Zwift. Uh, but stage 11 from El Pozo Alimentación, so from a, what is it, a food factory to uh, Legata Cape, Cabo de Gata, 192Ks, no categorized climbs, an intermediate sprint about 11Ks from the finish, but it is rolling climbs. We're down south on the coast here, very hot conditions going from Murcia down to Andalusia. Uh, Murcia is where Valverde is from and Luis Leon Sanchez, that part of the world. And, yeah, the big news before the stage was uh, Simon Yates out of the race with COVID. We'll talk more about that and what that means for Bike Exchange at the end of the podcast. Uh, Sivakov out. So many riders. So Sivakov's that's two riders in the top six, I think it was, in the general classification out with uh, COVID, so that was a, a really big shame. Were there any other riders out? I think there were three riders from Equipo Ken Pharma, Miguel uh, okay. Adria, unfortunately, Caretero, and uh, that were the five of today, but that means there's, I think, 21 riders out related to COVID in this Grand Tour so far, which is more than any Grand Tour this year, if my math was right. So um, that's not a good situation, and we're only 11 stages in, so that's that's mad, and I hope it stops, but I fear that we might have a few more names dropping out in the coming days. But let's all let's all come together and hope that it doesn't happen, eh? Now, when it comes to the actual race of today, stage started, as you said, at the uh, food factory. I wonder if that food factory pays for like having the stage start at the food factory. Would be curious to know that. But three riders in the breakaway, Spanish pro Conti teams. This is your dream ride. You've been asking for it for ages, and this is what you get on today's stage. And now you're you're already saying it's the most boring stage of all time. It's well, what no, you've it's been good. wanting for weeks. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I went to lunch. Um, <laughs> I was pretty pretty fed up actually <laughs> with all the COVID positives and riders pulling out. And um, yeah, I'm just worried it's going to affect Avonapol or Roglic as well. That's what I'm hoping it doesn't. But yeah, slow stage. It finished uh, at the latest possible time it was predicted. But if you want to get faster, Zwift Academy registrations are available now. Zwift Academy helps you find your strength and go further, whether you're aiming for a pro contract or just trying to get a bit fitter on the bike. Orientation rides are live now, and we'll talk you through the basics of Zwift Academy alongside other Zwifters. Once Zwift Academy kicks off, the workouts will be available on demand and as group workouts, and all workouts are available in English, German, French, Spanish, and Japanese. To find out more or to start your free seven-day trial, head to Zwift 
Bitcoin.com down below. But yeah, Bike Exchange were controlling all in for Groves, no GC guy anymore. Uh, Pedersen for Trek was here. Ackerman is here with Milano as the lead out man. Danny Van Popper would go for it, despite Bennett having left with COVID earlier. And Dan McClay as well, one of the big sprinters for this stage. Um, they're, yeah, they're the main sprinters. Brian Cockard is here, but he... Despite looking good in spring, he has just looked completely uncompetitive in this latter part of the season. I know he came fourth on stage three, but yeah, he's he's not looked competitive at all. Maybe he hasn't had a lead out. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the other big news of the stage, unfortunate, was the crash of Julian Alaphilippe, which came out of nowhere. Exactly. The crash happened in a corner where you'd usually expect the peloton to just ride through that corner safely. And it's just a crash that happened in cycling and one rider going down. He was, I think, the only rider on the floor in that crash, from what I could tell, which, I don't know, it was just sliding out in a corner. And the initial shots of Alaphilippe sitting on the floor were a bit grim, as in... He was sitting there. It looked pretty bad when it comes to his shoulder. He was pointing at his shoulder to the medical people. But they just kept showing images of Alaphilippe sitting on the floor in pain. Even images of eventually where it was looking like he would not actually continue the race. We were thinking, is it a dislocated shoulder? Is he pointing to his shoulder because it's a, a clavicle, collarbone fracture? Hopefully not because we want to see this guy at the World Championships. But eventually it led to... Alaphilippe leaving this race. Was it me or did the camera show him a bit too long to my liking? Um, I mean, it didn't seem like a life-threatening injury. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. He, I was hoping that he was going to do a Primoz Roglic stage five and <laughs> pop it. they were going to pop it back in. I was hoping it was just, uh, not great, but just a dislocated shoulder, but it didn't look like that. So... That's a real shame whether he's ready for, if it's not that, which didn't seem to be, if it's something broken, world championships are just around the corner. I think in quick maths, just under a month so or a month or so. So how he's going to be ready for that, I'm not sure. Alaphilippe's had a really tough year crash-wise. He was involved in that huge pile-up in... Uh, Liège based on Liège, which took him out for two months, and he sort of wasn't like came back slowly. He did the French national champs. He skipped the Tour de France and wasn't right or ready for it. Came back at Tour de Wallonie, sort of slowly got ready for the Vuelta, and he started looking really, really good shape the last four or five stages uh, for that World Championships bid. And he also crashed in Strade as well, like that Alpecin rider with yep. the crosswind came across, chopped him. So he's had a few, a few really big crashes, and his crashes have seemed to be like some riders crash a lot and they're sort of fine. His crashes have taken him out for some time, and I hope I hope he's all right. But it's it's not looking good, uh, especially for World Championships and maybe even for the rest of the season. I actually agree that he's had severe crashes in LBL and here right now, but I feel like he's also crashed more this year, unfortunately. You mentioned Strade, but I vaguely remember also, was it Brabant where he was hit by his own team car or a crash caused by his own team car? Yeah, where he, he was DNF'd that race. On the f- yeah, I expected 
um, to hear something like that because I swear he was on the floor on the left side of the road because the quick step car was moving up through the finish line or something on the right side, that's getting a profit right. rider. Yes, that's something the one. vague like that. But uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. He's still been able to perform relatively well outside of his crashes, to be honest. Like winning a stage at the Sulia, two podiums there. He came back and unfortunately wasn't at a greatest form in Flesh Wallon to secure his victory there, but came back into the wall and he got that there. But yeah, it's it's not the season you expect from an Alaphilippe, but there's nothing really he can do about it, I think, this year. And I think we're all hoping that we get some miracle news on social media that says Julian Alaphilippe can actually ride world championships, but I fear the worst. And I think it reduces the quality of the race because it's one of the co-favorites for that parkour. It's one of the names that you'd name to actually be the expected winner together with usually Wout Fanat, who's always the favorite as well on paper. But he's one of those names that we want to see there, and especially when it's a chance to win another consecutive world championship. Do you have anything more to say on the topic of Alaphilippe? Uh, yeah. What does this mean for Avenapol? Quickstep are hmm. now losing riders left, right, and center. Seri, is, he was out with COVID and magically appeared on the Belgian team for world champs Cavagna <laughs> out now so he's left with uh Dries Davenines who's not looked in like his Tour de France stage one shape last year the Viker Cavagna Van Wilder Masnada it's still a pretty good team it's still stronger than Jumbo Visma um overall on the important GC parkour with with Sivakov out and Carapaz not looking good, Ineos are kind of weakened too. So everyone's getting weaker. So I wouldn't say that Quickstep is suddenly like the weakest team by far, but Alaphilippe was clearly their most important domestique on stage nine. He marked moves in break formation, incredibly important there. He then launched it into the base of Pereira's to make sure Avenapol was in good position. So him being out is a big loss for Avonapol and certainly doesn't help his chances, particularly for a stage 20 that could be a bit uh, chaotic. But with Sivakov out, that reduces yeah. another option for Ineos. But anyway, back to this stage. It's going to be a sprint. Pedersen went for the intermediate sprint. Whether that was a mistake or not, I'm not sure. He's going for the green jersey. Um, so with Bennett out, he's a lock almost to get that at this point. And then we come into the finals, uh, GC teams plus bike exchange are there with four Ks to go. So we've got, uh, clock keeping Rodriguez in good position. We have Yumbo keeping, uh, Roglic in good position. And then on the right, we have a train of bike exchange. So without Yates, they have Kel O'Brien. Hepburn, Craddock, Durbridge uh, to pull. I think Hepburn is last man. Craddock is third last. O'Brien is second last. So pretty powerful train. Durbridge was doing that job. And then eventually GC teams sort of go away. Uh, and this is what's, what's happened with Bike Exchange. They were good in a long straight lead out in Saudi Tour Oman. Can't remember yeah. which. The GC teams, Benji, again, lingered on the front under three Ks to go. Ineos seem to like it seems like a new thing what's what like what's the rationale for staying in front is it just it's safer than just flying back through the peloton I don't know I think the rationale that's being kept is probably that idea keeping themselves at the front to make sure that any crash that happens behind them does not inflict anything on those riders does that actually make the riders safer compared to being towards the back of the group Potentially, I don't know, I haven't done the math to figure that out in this situation here, but 
it became clear that the peloton was prepping a bit more relaxed towards the sprint, I felt. Like, initially we had Heysink and Clock racing up a small hill to get into those last four kilometers in first positions into corners. But when that kind of disappeared, they didn't disappear off the front, but they weren't necessarily in like first section anymore. Bike Exchange was like the leading team on the left side of the road, and it felt more clear today that they were all following the Bike Exchange train. And that has its reasons, you know. We've got Bora's team who has a rider Les, which is their sprinter. Bennett's not here, so they would likely go for a Van Poppel. And with a Maclay, he seemed to have one rider around him, but he was situated behind him, so he wasn't necessarily helping him out. I feel like Kirsch was trying to get Peterson up, but what Kirsch did was basically bring Peterson into a wheel that is next to the uh, bike exchange train on the left side, so Peterson would also start using that that actual train of bike exchange. Merlier was nowhere to be seen with about a kilometer and a half to go. I think like 15, 20 position, perhaps even more, I don't know. I saw another Alpecin rider somewhat in the middle of the like 10th position, probably trying to get Merlier up, but Merlier was not in his wheel. And then an Alpecin rider went to the front. And I think this is interesting. And I'll let you talk about the bike exchange aspect there in a second. But an Alpecin rider went to the front and started doing a lead out in front of the bike exchange train, and I think this partially helped out bike exchange, but I think you also have a take on that, right? Well, Kel O'Brien is second last man for bike exchange, and what's been happening with Groves and bike exchange is that they look good at uh, three kilometers to go and then crumble, kind of like what's been happening with Israel. Groves has been pinched and swamped with no one in front of him at 7.50 to go in the Dutch sprints, stages two and three, and he's not been kept at the front you know, giving him a chance to actually contest the win with 500 meters to go because we know he is fast. And so today, Kel O'Brien, Neo Pro, we interviewed him earlier this year or end of last year. He knew he was on the front too early. He he knows if I launch it here with 2.5 to go and then have Hepburn go at <laughs> at 1.6, that's just pointless. Like Groza has to send sprint at 1k to go. So that's just impossible so the other option is you pull off and they all find other wheels to sit on the other option is what he did he looked around realized no one was about to swamp him and you can almost see him dial it back a bit because no one else has got any lead out so he's like well yeah. no one else is going to swamp me with 2.5 i'll just go at a pace i can hold and hope people come forward. And Alperson came forward twice with Tamino and Vermeersh without Merlier. Merlier didn't follow them. They zoom up to the front and he was behind Van Baal O'Brien as well. But then after he's gone, the Alperson guys zoom up, sit in front of O'Brien for a bit and then pull off. And then another one zooms up and O'Brien sits on him a bit, extending his lead out. And then finally O'Brien is able to go and he drops Hepburn off with like 750, 800 to go, which is still early. Maybe it was a bit a bit uh, later than that, but it's salvageable and it's at least keeping Groves in the first four wheels. Now, it still wasn't perfect. Hepburn was still on the front too early. Groves still got squeezed and nearly lost this sprint, but at least he's there. And so uh, John Degenkolb goes for the Hail Mary from the right-hand side, launches it with 350 <laughs> to go. That jumps and swarms Groves after Hepburn, I think, was leading him out. Groves slots onto McClay's wheel, which stops Pedersen getting onto McClay's wheel. McClay following Degg and Kolb. Van Poppel is even deeper. Merlier, no idea where the guy is. Um, 
and <laughs> it basically goes, Dan Cobb's just on a last-man job. McClay's not quick enough. Groves comes around his right-hand side. He is quicker than Dan McClay, and Danny Van Poppel does a Dan McClay Eneco tour zooming through impossible gaps, but he just doesn't get through in time to beat Groves on the line. So Merlier also flashed late as well, but Groves takes his first Grand Tour stage win ahead of Van Poppel, who needed Van Poppel uh, today. Merlier third, <laughs> Milano fourth, Pedersen fifth, McClay sixth, Denkob seventh, Wright eighth, Bulens ninth, Boy Van Poppel tenth. I'm surprised Danny should have got Boyd lead him out. He would have won. Um, <laughs> today, <laughs> bit of yeah, sibling rivalry. But yeah, what'd you make of the sprint, Benji? Would you be are you concerned if you're Patrick Lefebvre right now? I'm not certain that that is the thing I'm worried about. I think Alpacin should be worried a bit more because Merlier for three sprints in this Vuelta has been not in the right position to make a competitive sprint. Today he finishes third coming from nowhere. Like he's not on the shot until we get to the last 300 meters where he passed the, the 11th rider on the road and tries to fly past on the right side of the road. So. Also a great sprint by him, obviously, helps a bit that he's coming in the draft of riders, but still a, a pretty majestic sprint on the right side, while other riders in similar positions are dropping back at that moment in the race. And I think that I hammered this point in ages ago, and I'm going to keep on saying it, if Ricard is that there's a race, Merlier has a stage win somewhere, and that's not the case here. And because of that, Merlier cannot start sprinting in a, in a proper position, I don't blame Merlier as much in this situation. I think one of the sprints also next to having a bad position, it was because he went out of his, his chain was getting off, but obviously he needed a good position before the chain going off to even be competitive in the first place. Nonetheless, when it comes to this sprint, with a lead out like Ricard, I expect Merlier to be able to com be competitive with Groves to be able to try and win this stage. Same thing that you said with Van Poppel. If Van Poppel has a Van Poppel, Danny Van Poppel, because I'm not sure about Boy Van Poppel's lead out skills that much, then... Danny Van Poppel wins this as well because he wouldn't have to come from that far because he comes from li literally the same distance as Merlier at certain points here. I think the last 200 meters, he's in the same position or the same distance from the front as Merlier. Merlier is a bit more in the open on the right side while Danny Van Poppel is following Groves' wheel and Peterson's wheel in the middle there, trying to come past, which you said, McLean Degenkolb. Let's not do Molano erasure here. He was doing a lead out for... Um, Nobody. Uh, nobody was in his wheel. Is I Ackerman think McLeay tried to use his wheel. What, sorry? Is Ackerman, where did Ackerman finish? 15th. Like Jesus. Milano 4th, <laughs> Ackerman 15th. What's going on there? <laughs> like, we, we saw Milano launch it up a bit later than Degenkolb, tried to follow Degenkolb and then launch past him. I think Milano was actively trying to do a lead out because at a certain point, I swear he was like straight up looking behind him, looking for a rider, looking behind him and... He did not see Ackermann and he just kept on sprinting and he still got fourth. But if Ackermann's in his wheel, then he's also got a better chance of winning here. But he was not, so that's not very ideal. Is it about Milano? When it comes to Van Poppel's lead out on, I think it was stage three, I think we discussed that he looks behind four times or so in the last one, no, not even one kilometer, last like 400 meters. From the second that Van Poppel launched his lead out, he looked past four times. You think that Milano was not aware enough of Ackermann's position in this sprint? Oh, I have to rewatch it, but he, he must have been going for himself, right? Like, you, 
you don't finish no. fourth here doing a lead out. Like this. It not... looked like he was leading out. But <laughs> he finished fourth ahead of guys going for the win, like Pedersen and McClay. I don't understand. Um like Ackerman finished ahead of with Evo Oliveira. I don't yeah. I'll have to rewatch it, but I think Milano's got really good legs. Um, but obviously, yeah, he might not have the finesse of a Danny Van Poppel. Um, and he kind of still is a sprinter himself. Um, but for bike exchange, on the day that uh, Simon Yates has to abandon due to COVID, this was hugely important for their points haul, 100 UCI points. If you don't know, bike exchange are locked in a big battle for world tour licenses for the 2023 to 2025 inclusive uh, seasons. And that's decided on the basis of the top 18 teams by use uh, by UCI points from 2020 to 2022. Simon Yates had abandoned the Giro in 2020 with COVID. The whole team in fact had to pull out with COVID due to COVID uh, so no points on GC there. He abandons this race whilst fifth or sixth on GC, and I would say looking pretty good for a top five with a massive yep. 400 or so points available. And so Bike Exchange are up to 14,307, 14, thanks to Rel's quick work. 460 points now ahead of Lotto Sudal, who are the first team in the relegation zone. Israel look like they're gone. Movistar are 157 behind Bike Exchange, just safe, about maths, maths, 200, 300 points ahead of uh, Lotto Sudar. So what do you make of the Yates? Um, the, it's just bad for them, Benji. It seems like yeah. it's it's better to have a whole raft of different riders targeting one-day races because if you put all your chips in a GC basket and that guy gets covid you could get a lot of points, but if he gets COVID, you're stuffed. It's interesting, and there's so much to tell about this this point system and the relegation and promotion system in general. But Bike Exchange has had some bad luck when it comes to Simon Yates in multiple races, and that leads to points being taken away. I think a lot of also had some bad luck with Caleb Ewan not doing MSR, for example, because of COVID stuff like that. There's also the aspect of um races during covid that were not written that were also taking uh, points away for certain teams there's so much to talk about but singly for this race onwards like i was actually looking at simon yates to even perhaps come close to a podium in this race and obviously with simon yates you never know the guy can lose 26 minutes at some point in week three and it will be like okay we kind of should have seen that coming but on the other hand, he's also got the ability of podium and ground tour. He's done that before. So I was hoping that this Vuelta could be a load of points for that team. Like Movistar is also trying with Maz. Movistar still has Maz up there. I hope Maz is able to stick in that top three for Movistar in this situation. And it seems like COVID is impacting this a lot, this relegation battle, a lot more than people probably want, a lot more than teams probably want. And it's, I don't know, when it comes to the whole battle here, it kind of feels like bike exchange is being punished for focusing on what World Tour teams should focus on compared to a lotto who's focusing on hunting for points and less on to the Vuelta. That makes sense? 
Yeah, like Lotto aren't even letting their riders do the world championships, I don't think. So it's, I mean, the Australian calendar has been cancelled two of the last three years and you can say all you want about, um, oh, well, they're not that important races. But it's like, well, if we're going to, if the points from, quote-unquote, smaller Mickey Mouse Belgian races count, then it does matter that Australia's continental calendar hasn't been in existence the last two years because like i would go go to arno delis and he's having a great year one of the best neo pro years ever but go to his pcs open it up and just look at how many of these races there are it's ridiculous like the fact that all these points count for world tour is it's crazy so if without covid tour down under Cadell's, Torquay, maybe Herald Sun Tour go ahead in the last two years. Now, races were cancelled in 2020, a lot of these Belgian races, but two of the three years the Australian ones have been cancelled. Now, why is that important? Because a lot of sponsors or French sponsors of Arkea, they're quite happy for Arkea to do a whole French Cup calendar. In fact, that's probably the expectation. Whereas the bike exchange sponsors, why would they care that? that- bike exchange do those races it wouldn't make sense and so the system is basically preferencing sponsorship coming from companies within a very specific (laughs) geographic area uh so that's my main problem with it i feel bad for bike exchange i think i want to add to that like i agree with you i agree that cycling in itself seems biased when it comes to this point system to belgian teams to french teams and so forth next to that also like Regardless of that, it's biased to those teams in general with wildcards to Grand Tours and so forth. The ones that are being handed out by the race itself is likely going to the races from that region. That's what happens in Grand Tours, for example. I will add another counter-argument, though, that I think Bike Exchange is not the only one having this. For example, in 2020, the Australian races were ridden. And I think in total... 20, if I did my math correctly, uh, 20 of those 1.1 races in Belgium and France and so forth disappeared as well in 2020 and 2021. So it's all a matter of like, how many points did which team lose in what year and so forth compared to the others? I think in the the Australian circuit, you're going to be 100% right that a bike exchange probably took, I think, 500, 600 points more than a Lotto Sudal, for example, who I think had around two or one stage win per year. I think three stage wins in 2020, if my math is correct, with two with you and then one with Holmes. So 150 points from that, a few more points from being in GGC in like 20th and 30th spot. I think 200 points for them. I think Bike Exchange scored big in those races, 700-ish each year. That's a lot of points that Bike Exchange loses across 2021 and 2022. On the opposite side, there's also points that are lost by a lotto, for example, in 2020 and 2021 in those 1.1 races. But I agree that on paper, there's more races for a a Belgian team than an Australian team to gain those points from. But I think that aspect is just an issue with the sport in itself. I think just that's just cycling being non-globalized, right? Uh, well, no, two of the three years, the Australian ones were cancelled. And I think the yep. Belgian ones were more one of the three. So that's the unfairness of COVID. EF as well have had... California cancelled. Yeah. Is Tour of Utah happening? So the Canadian classics have happened 
in a couple of weeks, but they're the only time they've happened in the three-year cycle. So their North American calendar has been gutted during COVID. And so, yeah, it basically creates a system where in 2026, we might have five average to below average French world tour teams (laughs) and zero North American, zero Oceana, and maybe no Spanish world tour teams. So is that what I, I, the counter argument as well is, listen, if I'd been designing Bike Exchange's calendar from the start of January, of course, they wouldn't have a problem, but they didn't. Uh, react quickly enough same goes for Movistar or education first like you can't also ignore the fact that these teams are in this position for uh, some somewhat because of their own doing not just because the systemic problem in this uh, the, the problem in this system but you know you'd also say were Intermarche or were AG2R smart in the triennium or or 2 are just lucky that they have a load of French one-day races that there's a lot of points at that they go to anyway. I would say it's probably the latter. But, yeah, it is, it's going to be a big blow-up. Um, it's worth probably a podcast in itself. We have teams probably going to Tour de Langkawi, which is at the end of October, big riders trying to get points. Um, I think my, my view is that... There should be no relegation, but I also believe you have to promote Alperson and Arkea because they have abided by the system. You have to promote them and give them. Um, and also, but the problem is then RCS say we can't invite 20 World Tour teams plus three wildcards to the Giro. So you say to Arkea, do you want to do the Giro? Because <laughs> they didn't this year <laughs> and hope they say no. I uh, I agree with that aspect. That would be an ideal like result. But there's also some questions to be asked. And what do you say to the team? So, for example, very shortly, I think uh, you linked me something where the UCI actually stated something related to COVID and 2020, where they said the effects of COVID would have a limited consequence. Or how how was it stated? Uh, the UCI said at the start of COVID that. The effect of COVID, in in short, would be taken into account when uh, evaluating a UCI World Tour World Teams World Tour Team status. So, I would argue that if your main GC rider is pulled out with COVID in two of his target Grand Tours in the three-year period, if your national local calendar has cancelled for two of the three years i'll say that's a pretty yeah. big impact of COVID. but everyone's it's not unique to bike exchange as you said caleb ewan came second at msr in 2021 and then he can't do it with covid because of 2022 like it's just because yates pulled out during a grand tour doesn't mean that ewan didn't lose loads of possible points at a one-day race he was supposed to do four days later so or however many days after he tested positive for COVID. so all the teams have been affected i would say that it's a good thing that we have sponsors if sponsors have financial commitments to these teams and are willing to back them um which is a good thing then during a pandemic why are we basically cutting them off at the knees because listen if a lot of get relegated it doesn't matter if bike exchange or ef get relegated they're fucked they have no world yeah. tour stage race read tour de france wild card and so <laughs> they, they that's really tough for their sponsors 
uh, one more aspect there. I think when it comes to, we're, we're talking about the issues here. We've spoken about a potential solution being two extra teams being World Tour for a bit. There's also some effects to that, which indeed is that we have 20 World Tour teams. But the question then is like, first of all, what would happen in the next cycle then? Like, COVID will probably not disappear. So you probably, as the UCI, would have to tell them before the cycle starts. In this cycle, we won't consider it. And regardless of what happens COVID-wise, you're getting relegated at the end. And the UCI has tried to limit the amount of World Tour licenses in the last years as well. I think they tried to reduce it to 18, I think to 16 at a certain point, if my mind serves me right. And now with going back to 20, they're going to want to have it back to 18. So I think in that solution that we're improvising here at the moment, it would be something like three years, then four people four teams relegate and we go back to 18 teams and two teams can promote in that sense or do you think that's too much then well i mean it's kind of a joke isn't it like the uci is trying to limit the number of teams when it's got this hugely bloated calendar which means there is a need for so many riders on each team like i would get it if the calendar was nice and compact and made sense commercially i'd get limiting it but it's just all a mess, really. And people will say, oh, well, the teams knew what they signed up for. Well, if you had a crystal ball when they signed up to this in 2019, I don't think you knew. Um, if you did, you'd have made a lot of money on the stock market. Um, <laughs> if you thought, if you knew COVID was going to impact the world like this in 2019. How Buying Exchange went with a star strategy where they're yep. like, we expect our stars to st- score enough points guys got COVID twice in Grand Tours. So how could they predict that? Um, EF chose to pretty much ignore the system. So my sympathy is until recently. So my sympathy is somewhat less, a bit more limited. Um, anyway, the, the, it's like, well, I'm, I'm probably going on to the full relegation pod, but it's like if Manchester United got relegated from the Premier League after coming fifth because... They got knocked out in the FA Cup in the second round. World Tour, <laughs> only World Tour results should count and only pro results should count for the pro teams, like a normal relegation system. Because people say relegation is normal. Well, yeah, normal relegation systems, A, aren't on a three-year cycle. B, don't assess results from competitions that aren't World Tour status. That just doesn't make any sense. So anyway, a lot of revision. If you... I think if you have any questions on this, things that are confusing, it's very, very complicated, drop it down in the comments down below and uh, let us know what you think. And if, you know, I think it's just a shame and it's all a bit of a bit of a mess. But anyway, tomorrow's stage, yeah. Benji. Oh, sorry, last thoughts on relegation. No, I firmly agree uh, on, the, on the points we made here and I look forward to uh, digging into this topic a bit more in a, in a more robust podcast because I think we can actually talk about this for a full hour in the future. <laughs> Yeah, and so everyone, peer pressure Raul Bankeri to come on the pod with us. I've already asked him, tell him, Raul, we want you on. He's been doing yeah. the brilliant relegation battle articles on lanternrouge.com.au. There's a how-to, uh, oh, no, an explainer article linked down below if you want to read up on on that. Anyway, tomorrow's stage, it is a hockey stick stage, 193Ks from Salabrena to Peñas Blancas Estepona. It has no categorized climbs before a 20, no, a 19 kilometer, 6.5% climb from sea level to 1,250 meters. If this was March, they would do 
absolutely mental watts per kilo because it'd be cooler conditions. It will be hot tomorrow. Um, I say that'd be very fast because from sea level, easy stage beforehand and steady, consistent gradient, it it goes super fast, but it's hot. So that should lower the watts per kilo a bit. Alpha leap out. Um, I I don't really see how anyone can trouble Remco on this, Benji. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that issue either. I think Remco is going to be the better one from the GC group. Question is whether there's going to be enough teams to control a potential breakaway and whether this is the kind of stage where Remco is like, I want to win this stage because now he's got very limited teammates to control. Like Alaphilippe's out, Suri's out. It's not looking good in that regard. Cavagna can probably take up the majority of the work, I think, before uh, the final climb, though. So that aspect is there, but then... The thing you want is like a, a three-man Spanish breakaway pro teams. Again, that would be ideal for that scenario. But if that's not the case, if it's a bigger breakaway, then I see that breakaway having a chance of sticking to the line and looking at the parkour. There's a few holes at the start where a bigger breakaway can form. It's not completely flat, so it's not like we'll see three rulers going up the road only. I think there's more to it at the start here. There's an option for some climbers to be in there, but hey. Then it's completely flat until we've got a small hill and then the bigger climb at the end. So nothing too crazy. Is it? It's a long stage to control as well. So I'm arguing this is break. And I actually think that I don't know who's going to win this. Like, is this the kind of stage where you think a button will go for it, knowing that there's not that much climbing before the final climb? That's what I was thinking about is how easy is it to get in the breakaway with this flat-ish start? There's some rolling hills. And the, yeah, just put it and try and do it like Vine did on the, from the GC group. I'm not sure. I'm going with Vine to win the stage again. <laughs> um, just because he's like 15 minutes Why back not? from GC. So I think he might get some freedom. I think it's between Vine and Putin from the GC. But then will Quickstep control? Does Ravenpool want a road stage? Should Movistar try for Mars in hot conditions? Should Lopez try? I don't know. I don't know. Did he die? He's looked terrible in the heat. Yeah, he's looked true. really bad. I'm going to find. Don't know if it's break or GC group. Okay, you're going with Vine. I think that I've got a feeling that we'll have a UAE rider in the breakaway. I haven't seen much from McNulty in this race. Wouldn't shock me if Soler's in the breakaway again. I think um, the issue is if Vine's in the breakaway, then Vine is going to destroy everybody in the breakaway. That's as simple as that. Unless we've got people attacking him before the final climb, and that depends on the group dynamic in the group, which I cannot predict. I am going to go with... I'd love, I'd love Vincenzo Nibali in the break or a Bob Jungles or something like that, but I'm going to pick not Higita. I'm going to go for Podden anyway. Fuck it. YOLO. Hot conditions. That's what edges it out for me for uh, Padden. Not sure he likes it too much. Roglic likes a long climb with hot conditions, but the gradual climb, I don't know. Who's going to pace? Can Yumbo light it up? Can Ineos light it up for Rodriguez? They're probably the team to do it. Gegenhardt's in good shape. Maybe that's maybe you try tomorrow to really distance uh, Juan Ayuso if you're if you're them. Anyway, be interesting to see. Uh, hopefully, it's a fast time. And uh, thanks for listening as always. Thanks to Zwift for supporting the show, and we'll see you at the recap tomorrow. Ciao. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 